Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to episode 124 of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. I'm the Sarah in that equation, Sarah DeBunting, and I am here, as always, with my friend Ifris co-host, Mark Blankenship. Hello, Mark. Oh, palinaceous. That's what you are. <laughs> uh, so today we're going to be talking about an erasure track, Oh L'Amour, and Mark is the one who I think we sort of agreed both of us that it was time for an erasure track, but then Mark selected Ola Moore. So Mark, can you take uh, us through your process? Um, yes, um, of elimination, perhaps, or of sort of affirmation of this song and why we're listening to this particular erasure track. So, um, if for those of you at home who are keeping your Mastis bingo card up to date to see if you get that bingo we're about to reference something we do a lot on the podcast which is i aming each other uh <laughs> a few weeks ago sarah and i were i aming each other uh about what we could talk about next and i said i feel like uh it's time to take it to an erasure place i recommended something i said something or erasure and then we were like erasure and then i said well what if we could do chains of love a little respect oh l'amour and then Sarah, you responded, I could totally talk about Ola Moore. And I was like, well, I fucking love that song. So let's do that. So that is how we landed, I believe. That seems right. At that sounds Ola right. Moore. Um, but yes, it was sort of like me leading that Erasure charge. Uh, the point being, Ola Moore is from Erasure's very first album called Wonderland. It was released in 86. I cannot believe this song is 32 years old. Um, and I think before we go any further, let's just dive into a clip. Oh my god, I live for the um erasure is uh for those of you who may not be intimately familiar, two guys from England, Andy Bell, who does all the vocals, and Vince Clark, who does basically everything else. Vince Clark was also in Depeche Mode, and he was the male half of Yaz, whom we discussed episodes and episodes ago for their classic track Only You. So clearly this type of music is in the Mastis wheelhouse. And Sarah, I am very interested to know about your overall relationship to Erasure and then to this song in particular. I have had a love affair with this group for such a long time. It was in the early 90s when they released a single called Always that was a big hit in America that uh, I first learned about them and then ended up getting an album called Pop, the first 20 hits. And every goddamn song on that album is so great they're so andy bell's voice is so dramatic and emotional and it sounds like he's sobbing at all times and there's just <laughs> something so 
queer about them. The fact that they're openly gay, obviously, but there's a certain Baroque aesthetic in their electronic music that I love. It's just always devastation, heartbreak, like crying until your mascara is running down your face. I just, even their happy songs are but sad while because of his crafting voice. with sequins. Yes, yes, right. You're so sad, but at the same time, you look fabulous, and there's just glitter clouds around you at all times. So that's just the sort of overlay of why I love them so much. And honestly, their music is also very sophisticated and interesting, and the melodies that they have are very surprising. And Andy Bell's voice, he can really do a hell of a lot with it. And uh, yeah, what about you? Well, my sort of entree into erasure i mean i was like into yes it was one of those things where like your friend who could drive had the tape so you liked that <laughs> you liked it whether you liked it or not but erasure a little respect came out when i was a high school junior i'm gonna say mm-hmm. and as a as a like junior and senior at a girl's school that i'd gone to my whole life that uh, you know that feeling of trying to become who you are and having to fight for that for that little piece of land to to stand up in and be who you are mm-hmm. uh really spoke to um the uh up and coming feminist um not all that popular uh young lady who was like the the end of this chapter is in sight. And Mm. before we close the book on this, I will have my accord and I got it. Like it took 12 years, but eventually my classmates were like, Oh, she's pretty smart and capable and cool. Better late than never. Thanks guys. Um, but I also like my experience of that um emotional journey is like not not smaller well it is smaller because coming from a queer perspective that that journey is like there's a lot more um heavy luggage with it let's let's put it that way and I'm not sure that when the song was popular, I fully appreciated um, th- the weight under which the writer and performer of this song would also be trying to stand up and become who he was and mm. be- becoming who they were. And there, this song, I think, is the perfect example like the the best exemplar in their music of the contrast between the extremely artificial man-made programmed um not emotionless but like just very sort of like mathematical sound of the synthesizers and the and the beat which it's all like machined and the tear-soaked rendition of the lyric by Andy Bell. And he can sometimes, because of the genre that they were working in, sound a little 
performatively emotional versus sincerely emotional. Like he never doesn't sound extremely emotional, but sometimes it it can sound a little surfacey and just like surfacey. But yes. here, the I mean, there's this like shimmery, silvery curtain made out of like silver cheerleader pom poms and like tied together with little pink wig hairs from a Frenchie costume in Grease the Musical <laughs> curtain and then occasionally a gust of sobbing parts this curtain and there is Andy Bell sincerely struggling with not just the you know ups and downs of emotion that we all feel in um doomed affairs as human beings but also doing it as a gay man in the 80s right when being a gay man was just fucking coming to kill you all the time if it was aids or homophobic thugs or just something or was coming your for family you, being like get your shit we're changing the locks like it was not it was not an easy time i mean it was just not an easy time period <laughs> but it was it was really a rough time for for queer nation for all queer nations so i would like to you know it would be nice to think of that as like a quaintly distant memory we've all learned so much and come so far alas um except like the week that we're recording this the mayor of dar es salaam in tanzania announced that he was going to instruct his police forces to round up all the homosexuals in the town and he wanted the citizens of Dar es Salaam to let him know where the homosexuals were. So, yeah, great job, humanity. Keep winning. Uh, but I think that what you're talking about let's, is... Let's go back to the to the positive side of this, which is that yes. this is a really wonderful, uh, you know, I think in this like new road, new wave era of music, you you saw a lot of attempts at this. Mm-hmm. And you saw a lot of, I think, groups maybe being given credit for scoring off this contrast that maybe weren't entirely successful. I'm thinking of the Human League. No shade. I love the Human League. But I I don't think they exploit the the contrast between this glittery, proud, festive armor and that's something else we talk about a lot on the podcast the idea of especially with the female artists or women identifying artists the the armor of the femininity yep um versus the you know small fragile wizard of oz figure behind that curtain within that armor um and i just kept uh, I just kept listening to the song and being like, that is really so much greater than the sum of its parts. And I'm really in admiring awe of how perfectly that is done in this song. Yeah. Which is a song that I I also enjoy it. Like just listening to it is a pleasant experience, but given the current state of the world... I was definitely, I definitely had that contrast in mind and that, that gap and that 
struggle and the way that art can become armor in this beautiful warrior way, which it does here, I think. I might be oversubscribing it a little. What do you think? Well, listen, one of the, again, if it weren't an opportunity, if, if, if we as co-hosts of this podcast did not stray down some sociological interpretive roads, <laughs> no one would ever complete their master's bingo. So, but I actually think that you're onto something and I would like to now diverge momentarily from that and talk about one other thing and then come back to it. If I may, you may. Thank you. Uh, one, I just want to say, to echo your point about how enjoyable the song is to listen to, this song is so much fun to listen to. And you clocking the Human League, I think, is correct. It also, I want to clock with love, Banana Rama's Cruel Summer. I want to clock with love, um, the Information Society. I think that a lot of those groups sound good. Their songs are good. But there's something about Vince Clark's ability to make complex shit happen with the synthesizer mixed with the just inimitable tone of Vince Bell's voice that gives these songs like a depth. And whatever Vince Clark is up to as a studio wizard, like there's just exciting stuff happening in the way that the music evolves and changes. And you've got this great singer on top of it. And it's just fun and enjoyable to listen to. And I always think of Olamore as being a song that you listen to when you're getting ready to go out. It's like, it's like hype, but it's pretty mellow, too. It's like it's mellow, but it's getting you toward being excited is the way I've always thought. Well, of it. or you are armoring up for an event at which you will see an X. Oh, yes. With all that that could imply. So before we move on to point two, I think this is a pretty good time for us to take a pause for a special detour. Yes, everyone, it is time to take a break from Erasure and talk about someone from the 70s on behalf of someone who was born in the 70s. What am I getting at? It's time for our pop chart astrology reading. That is the moment when I give someone the destiny of their success based on the song that was number one on the day that they were born. Now, today's pop chart astrology reading goes out to Rachel, who is a Patreon patron. And at the level at which Rachel uh, donates to the podcast every month, she is entitled to multiple Top Chart Astrology readings for herself and her friends and family throughout the year. You've already heard a reading that we did for her daughter a few weeks ago. And I am delighted this week to say that our reading is for Rachel herself, who was born on January 27th, 1973. So... Rachel, not only would you have been in the same high school class as my husband, who was born just a few months before you, but the song that was number one the day that you were born was none other than Stevie Wonder's Superstition. So let's listen to a clip.
girl, not only is this a bomb ass all time classic hit, it has something inside of its legacy that I think points to the destiny of your success, be that prefer- personal or professional. It's up to you to divine. Uh, something that's good to know. Obviously, superstition lyrically is about not believing in superstitions like black cats and broken mirrors bringing you bad luck and all of that stuff. It's about using your own mind to figure out what you want to do with your life. But a little known fact, or lesser known fact at least, about this song is that it was written with uh, Jeff Beck, the guitarist, while he was in the studio with Stevie Wonder. Now, Stevie Wonder is the only credited writer, but Jeff Beck was part of this song's creation, and there was an initial thought that Jeff Beck was going to be the one who would record this song. But then Stevie Wonder and his record label were like, hmm, actually, this song is going to be a massive hit. I'm going to take that back. So... Stevie Wonder, in recording this song, had to listen to himself and uh, do what he knew he needed to do for himself in order to succeed. And I think that that pairs nicely with the message of the lyrics. And so, Rachel, what does that mean for your future? Well, I don't think it necessarily means that you need to renege on a contract that you make with a Jeff Beck in your life. But what I do think it means is that if there is a situation that arises in which you are being told to follow some sort of convention or accepted path, you should believe when you have a gut feeling to do otherwise that that is in fact the right thing to do. Feel confident in your desire to step off of the path that is being laid in front of you and that is perhaps being valorized by the people around you. And know that if you refuse to accept superstition or arrangements that have just always seemed to exist and go your own way, you will find that you are going to have a great deal of success. Uh, Rachel, I hope that you enjoyed that song chart reading. And listeners, if you would like a reading of your own or a reading for someone that you love, you can just let us know at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com. That's talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, and we will let you know how to get your own reading. But now, let's go back to the sad, sad, disco glittery world of Erasure. Okay, Sarah, so the other point I want to make is to go back to this idea of armor that we've talked about. Just And this isn't really going to be reinventing the armored wheel or anything, but <laughs> it, the way that you were expressing it really resonated with me because I think about the fact that when you're gay, even now, but perhaps especially in the 80s and early 90s, uh, this is when also I was coming to know myself as a gay person, performance is an inevitable part of your life uh, because being in the closet means performing a a heterosexual identity and having to live all the time with the weird double consciousness of uh, performing for someone and then being your true self. And obviously that is a, a concept that impacts people of uh, different ethnicities, people who are in any way outside of the perceived status quo. But one of the things that has happened in so much gay art is that that performance has when people decide that they are going to be out, some gay artists turn their their sexuality, but also their sort of flamboyance into a performance because they are gay people have already mastered the art of performing. And so what better way to say fuck you to the society that wouldn't accept you unless you pretended to be someone else than the, to turn your real self into an even bigger performance, to say, look at all the stuff that you made me learn how to do. Well, guess what? I've mastered it to such a degree that I will now use it to be even more authentic than I was before. I'm hyper real at this point. And I think that there's just something about erasure that speaks to that understanding of 
pain and rebellion that makes their music really land because Erasure was out from the jump. They were out of the closet always. And they are, I think, masters at making songs that turn private repressed emotion into gaudy performance. And the contradiction of that, of, of turning the tool of your oppression into the tool of your liberation is very exciting to hear. And the fact that they're able to do that on top of great hooks is just butter on the toast icing on the cake also that (laughs) so uh yes i may have now also uh taken a trip up my own butt but that i I just i actually don't i'm not going to say that i'm not going to i do believe that that is what i feel it's one of the reasons that erasure has been so appealing and i think that i would respect and uh erasure if that had been their goal and the music hadn't been as good but the fact that the songs are really fun to listen to just makes me love them even more Yeah, um, I would also recommend, I know we've clocked some groups uh, for sort of not successfully putting putting the two um, emotional experiences of a song like in in good opposition to each other. That didn't really make any sense, but see my previous comments, you know what I'm trying to say. But there's a Thompson Twins song called Sister of Mercy that mm-hmm. is um lugubrious is probably the nicest thing you could say about it like it's a it's a weepy cheese bomb i don't care i love it and it, that is definitely the like there's like the fake sort of like glockenspiel sound and that um <laughs> like the um clove sticks are being used at some point and it's so synthy and the um, boy Thompson twin is basically having a nervous breakdown in the from the center of this song about a story that he's narrating in the third person. It's it's kind of amazing and over the top, and I think it's so interesting that you can point to so many examples of this um, synthesizer drum machine. Um, like at at walker being built around these little uh plaintive singers from this era mm-hmm. that it wasn't that i think that is a a very um the eurythmics are another excellent example yes, of that yes that is a very good example of that and they they um hit that on the sweet spot more often than not i would say but do you I, know the song "There Must Be an Angel Playing with My Heart"? Yes, of course. Oh I my God, it's a such a perfect example of what we're talking about. Yeah, and right then now. there's like fake chimes that sound like someone just recorded a doorbell, and you're like, "Why does this work?" Like, but it the marriage of that, the um, extreme the, musical artifice and the extreme vocal sincerity can really work and be beautiful. But it's the outre in- lyric in that song too. There's an orchestra of angels Blue. playing with my heart. Like, oh, you yeah. really have to fucking commit to she, make that work. Like, there's a whole <laughs> bottle of mustard on that hot dog. Bless your heart, Annie. Um, but uh, and actually, Annie Lennox's "Why" is a pretty good Ooh. example of that, even though it's like almost a decade later. But it is interesting to me that that. I feel like the early to mid 80s were really just coming after the queer community with every 
piece of ammunition the decade could find. Uh, And yet this, I think, very, I guess, drag way of working through the pain in your art was Mm -hmm. very universal in pop music. So like Nuro and um, like the new wave music and all these various groups like culture club and Duran Duran who were just kind of like every and Prince. Okay. Everybody had eyeliner on everybody had pirate shirts and it was like this sort of pop music. I am Spartacus moment, except with queer identity and femininity. Yes. Well, you think about, um, I am now completely up my own butthole and I'm a human pretzel and I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. And if anyone who actually has like a master's level grounding in pop music would like to gently correct me, a straight lady about the shit I've been talking, please do. This is just my feeling. I think you're right on, honestly. I think that to get that there is this strand of it's like a it's like a musical oasis that exists for anyone who feels queer. You don't actually have to be homosexual to be included. It's just do you feel like you don't belong in the dominant cultural narrative of the eighties, but you're still in the eighties? Well, guess what? Here's an entire ocean of music being made by people who are consciously fucking with gender, with sexuality, and honestly, with the performance of emotion. Because the 80s were also so much of the narrative we were receiving in America in the 80s was about like Rambo Rambo and Schwarzenegger and money and power and sleek lines. And maybe you feel like, yeah. So maybe you feel like Susie and the Banshees sometimes. Maybe you feel like the Smiths. Maybe you feel like Erasure. Like it's all, and it's, I think, very interesting that so much of this music was made in England, who was also dealing with the Thatcherism of the period. Yeah. And, you know, like people have to have a place to go. Right. uh, But then in the culture, there is, like you said, this oasis that like, if you know the password, you will be handed a Casio and a tube of Great Lash and a shirt with all the fringe on it. Please and supply your own hair product. The color of the day is magenta. Magenta. Welcome. I kind of <laughs> wish this were a real place. The color of tomorrow is also magenta. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that be a wonderful, like, everywhere that there's, like, a gay conversion camp? I feel like someone needs to set up the new wave synthesizer camp that's like, be who you are. The color of the day is cyan. Cyan. Yes. I actually feel like that's a pretty great I would fund that nonprofit going to build the the synth camp next door to every gay conversion place. Totally. I, yes. And and then every night you would just be like blasting out um the the hits of erasure at all. Yeah. I also want to say before we wrap it up, uh Please don't email us. Uh, yes, I think we can agree, Sarah. We both love the Human League, Bananarama, all of these other bands that we were lightly clocking. It's just that Erasure is the pinnacle. Yeah. Those bands are all great, but Erasure is just the gold standard. Well, and it's also possible that these bands would be like, oh, that's not what we were trying to do. Or that Andy Bell would be like, oh, is that what you got from it? Because I just went to the studio and 
drank a bunch of root beer and sang it and then I went home and petted yeah, my I mean, dog. True. Like I, I mean, we could be reading way too much into everything, but that's what we do here, so I mean, it, it, the the name of the podcast could be Mark and Sarah read a lot into songs, but it doesn't scan as well. <laughs> Mastaralistong? <laughs> sure. Look, at Synth Camp, your podcast can be whatever you want. The color of the day is metatextual analysis. Y'all, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, a.k.a. me, and Sarah D. Bunting. And it's edited by Sarah D. Bunting as well. Do you want to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at TalkSongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mastus.podcast. To become a supporter and producer of this podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastus, where you can get access to all kinds of cool bonus content and vote in our ranking episodes. Thanks for listening. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.